When people ask me who this podcast is for, I often say people who are interested and passionate about making a positive impact in healthcare with the use of technology. We've got an engaged listener base and membership community of people who are keen to learn and connect about digital health innovation in medicine and improving patient outcomes or making the healthcare system more effective and efficient. But who are all these people and what do they do? Are they hospital CIOs? Yeah. Are they health tech founders? Yes. What about investors? Sure. But what about clinicians? Most definitely. In fact, we've seen a huge upsurge in healthcare providers, mainly GPs, who are really interested in getting on board with the health tech scene, generally wanting to learn more about this space and contribute to the success of it. One person who lives and breathes this, though, and his name is familiar with many, is Dr. Amandeep Hansra. She's the poster child for clinician involvement in digital health in Australia. And those were not her words. Those were my words. So don't worry. And today on the podcast, I'm chatting with Amandeep about CCIM, Australian Medical Angels, the future of healthcare in Australia, the opportunity for digital health, and much, much more. Collaboration starts with the conversation team. Health Tech, let's make it happen. Welcome to Talking Health Tech with Peter Birch, a podcast featuring conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. With me today is Dr. Amandeep Hansra. She's a GP who balances seeing patients with her passion for digital health. She's the founder of Creative Careers in Medicine and now investing through groups like Australian Medical Angels. She consults to government and private industry and contributes on boards as well. She's an entrepreneur, innovator, investor, and at the heart of it, a clinician, desperate to improve the health system through technology. Hey, Amandeep, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for that fantastic intro, and I'm glad those were your words, not mine. (laughs) (laughs) I deliberately threw that in because I know you wouldn't say that about yourself. So that's the... Thank you. You're the... Yeah, it's, it's... I can't believe it's taken 190-something episodes to have you on this show, but uh, it's great to have you here and actually having you contribute on one of our summits in the past too, and we've chatted many a time at events in real life or virtually too, so thank you so much for making the time finally to come on the show. Now, Keen, for anyone that doesn't know about Amandeep, tell us about you and and what you do. That's a great question. I had to stop and think about what I do. Um, (laughs) What you don't do maybe is, is a shorter list, yeah. I think people often describe me as, you know, wearing multiple hats or juggling lots of balls. And um, I guess for me, I've been super interested and involved in the health technology sector for the, you know, for the last decade or so. And I've realized that there's just so many different components of it. And I guess part of what I've been trying to set up or stage for myself is making sure I get across all of them and understand them. And so at the heart of it, I am a clinician, I'm a GP, and I still work and see patients, um, fit that in somehow. But I have really kind of worked across the whole sector. So I've worked in industry and worked at Telstra Health and Medibank, so both on sort of the technology side, but also on the funder and healthcare provider side. I've done work with government, with Australian Digital Health Agency, done lots of consulting projects with other state health services. And at the federal level, I worked with universities, affiliated the University of Sydney, and I've also been involved in the startup space and the investing space. So really across the whole ecosystem, I'm working as a consultant mostly alongside my clinical work but really keen to try and improve the whole healthcare system. And I think part of 
the way to do that is actually to connect all those different parts of this sector. And I don't think there's a lot of easy ways to collaborate currently. And I'm trying to figure out how to make that happen, aside from just me individually doing it, but really trying to create those networks so that we can move forward innovation in healthcare in Australia. Love it very much. And one thing that you've got, which is taking great leaps in doing that is CCIM, Creative Careers in Medicine. For those that don't know about that, tell us about what that is firstly. Look, we're a community of clinicians who really are thinking outside of the box. So we've got about 13,000 online members now, part of our community um, that's been built up over the last couple of years. It actually started as a bit of a selfish need for myself to find a tribe. You know, if you can't find your family, you create it. And I felt like that's what I was doing initially. And I thought there'd be about 20 people in that tribe. I didn't realize there'd end up being so many clinical people interested in really challenging the traditional way healthcare careers and paths have gone. And, you know, we've finding that especially doctors who are coming through the new graduates, they've got a different view on their life and their career and what they want to do in healthcare. They often are mature students, they've had other jobs, they've done other degrees, and they want to mix those together and actually help improve the whole system and not just see patients. And there's nothing wrong with seeing patients, but I think we all get a bit frustrated with some of the challenges and pain points that we face every day in our frontline work. And We are probably some of the most informed people to be able to solve those issues. And so we should really be allowing these incredible individuals to come back and provide input into improving that whole system. And and that's really the group that we've curated, people who are interested in bigger system thinking and getting into other niche areas like digital health, like entrepreneurship. And it's just been a fantastic community that we've grown over the last few years. Um, We run events, we help them find jobs, we we use them for insights and for surveys. And there's been a really great community feel about it great culture that's been set in that group. So certainly if you're a clinician thinking outside the square, um, definitely worth joining the community. Yeah, 100%. And there's such nice crossover in that middle bit between the stuff that we do, we're talking health tech and, and our membership community and any of them who are clinicians in, you know, THT plus, I'm going to guess are, are already a member of CCIM or in the community there or, or definitely should be. So I think that's really cool. And it's interesting you point out that when clinicians or doctors are looking at branching out further and contributing more to the field, often it then leads to digital health and entrepreneurship in particular. Like, why is that so popular when it comes to looking at branching out Then the next place to go normally is digital health? Yeah, look, great question. And I'm not sure if I'm biased in the group because creative careers in medicine is really about all the different career options in medicine, but we've really got a large group in there that are very digital health focused. And I'm not sure if that's just because I've had my influence and this is really my passion area, but I'd like to think it's just the natural evolution of interests within this community. And I think part of it is understanding that many of the challenges we face in the healthcare system now could potentially be solved by technology. I'm not saying everything can be solved. There are a lot of other big things that need to be fixed, like, you know, funding systems and models of care. But even those, there is always a technology component to it because so much of it is driven by things like data, driven by improving workflow processes, about consumer and patient empowerment. And you think about how those things are achieved. There's always going to be a technology element. 
And I don't think many of us really understood that until COVID hit. And people naturally go to the sort of, oh, there was telehealth that was implemented or there was electronic scripts that were implemented, but aren't even thinking about data, right? So how much data did we use? How much did we leverage to be able to understand things like vaccination rates or how to communicate to people about getting vaccinated or how did we give patients their results about COVID tests? Um, You think about all of these things use technology. And I think clinicians were really thrown into the whole tech space during COVID and they were told, you now need to go home practice from home, you need to keep your patients in their home, you need to use all technology that's available to you to do that. On top of that, we're going to be sending texts for this, you're going to receive all your information online, you're going to be producing vaccination certificates, you're going to have apps which you do QR code check-ins. Like all of it was technology-based. If we really think about the work that's been done during COVID and we realise more and more that the future of healthcare is going to be driven by technology innovation, And so I think, you know, as clinicians, we've started to have to lift our head out of the sand and we have to jump on this train because it's going to leave without us. And we won't be able to practice in the future if we don't understand what role technology plays in our everyday delivery of healthcare. So I think clinicians are recognising that and they feel this draw to being involved so that the technology actually has clinical input and that we're able to shape you know, how that looks for us, because, you know, we will be users of this technology. So I think that's been really the driving force, but the interest has really peaked in the last sort of 18 months, two years after the pandemic. Mm. We've talked a lot about how the pandemic has accelerated the use of digital health, and you brought up some great examples of how that's happened on a day-to-day. And you mentioned that now's the time to jump on the train if you've not done that already. So would you say then generally the view from the clinical side or from doctors is that this isn't slowing down? This wasn't just something to kind of see us through COVID. Now that we've utilised these tools in digital health, this is the way that it's going to be moving forward and it's only going to continue? Yeah, look, absolutely. I mean, I think that incremental changes like, you know, people understanding technology terms. Before that, when I used to tell people I worked in telehealth, I had a lot of doctors who used to say to me, what does that mean? What is telehealth? And I was having these conversations even two, three years ago. And now you won't find a single doctor in Australia or probably globally who doesn't understand what telehealth is. Um, So we've come a long way just to even get people to recognise terms. And it's not just the doctors, it's the patients. So now patients know what telehealth is and they will be demanding it from their doctors. They'll be saying, why can't you do this via telehealth? Because you did 18 months ago or you did during COVID. And so I think we will find, even though we're starting to kind of reach a bit of a COVID normal across Australia and we're seeing patients in person again and telehealth numbers have probably dropped, the cat is out of the bag, we're talking about it, we've had funding models that have kind of supported it during the pandemic and I don't think we're going to be able to go backwards from that. I think we still have a long way to go. There's a lot of reform that needs to be done from funding and a model of care perspective, but I do think we've started on that journey And there are some things that I will now, you know, the days that my electronic prescribing doesn't work, I have a bit of a tantrum because (laughs) I've gotten so spoiled, you know, not having to have pieces of paper. And it's amazing how quickly you become reliant on technology. Um, So I'm really excited that we are having the conversations. People know what we're talking about. Patients are going to feel empowered to ask for things and that we as a healthcare sector are being pushed along on this technology transformation journey. Hmm. 
Cool. And as a practicing GP, you see patients regularly and you're very active in, I guess, the industry more broadly. We've talked a lot about COVID in particular, but then just thinking about healthcare in Australia now, what's your view on the state of it and are there other things that need to be done or perhaps challenges and barriers that need to be addressed to, to continue to progress? Yeah, look, that's a huge question, Pete. We could probably spend a couple of hours just on what's broken in the healthcare system (laughs) in Australia. Um, Look, I think a lot of people had a view that it's working, we should just keep fumbling along. But I think the immense pressure on particular parts of the system, particularly, you know, and I understand the primary care system more than in the hospital sector, during COVID has really highlighted the need for reform. And, you know, it's kind of good timing when we had the release of the um, Australia's primary health care plan, the 10-year plan that came out recently. And that is the kind of stuff we need need to be focusing on because we don't really have time to continue doing what we're doing. And I think it was Leanne Wells that said, you know, our Medicare system is no longer fit for purpose. And I completely agree with her. I think some of the big changes that need to happen in healthcare are around our funding systems. And when I look at technology and implementation of new technology, I keep coming up against the same barriers and it's the funding, it's the models of care. We keep blaming the people. We keep saying, oh, doctors won't change or patients won't accept it or there's medical legal risks, but none of that really is the big challenge. All of that can be overcome. The things that are the blockers is if you don't pay people to do something, you can't expect them to do it. And I think we found this out with even my health record when we tried to roll that out, that we ended up going, you know, back to having to pay clinicians to upload summaries because you've got to incentivize people correctly and you can't expect them to do things all the time for free. And so I think, you know, the funding reform is so important, but I think underlying all of that is, you know, what are the future models of care that we want to deliver? And I think we want to move away from this very disease-focused system that we have. Patient gets sick, they go see their GP and we deal with it and then we send them back out again. Um, and then sometimes they end up in hospital, you know, and they get sick and we treat that and we send them back out again and no one talks to anyone. So I think this, you know, new way of actually focusing on preventative care and I think, you know, technology again, when we look at personalised care and precision medicine, all of this is going to change our system so that we can start looking at real value-based care, really looking at preventative models, really identifying disease before it even becomes apparent and treating it. But to do that, we do need true integrated care. We need multidisciplinary teams. We need co-commissioning, so funding that goes both to LHDs and primary health networks so that you know, primary care sectors working with the rest of the health sector to all be aligned with the same goals. So there's big changes that need to happen. And I think we've identified that. Now the next part is how do we actually make that happen? And technology will play a big part in changing that system. So it's exciting, it's daunting, but it's absolutely necessary that we need to start this reform process. I'm interested in how that might look too, because, you know, on one hand, like, I totally agree with you. And that's the way that, you know, we'll see, 
meaningful change in the healthcare system in Australia, moving from the preventative healthcare side to value-based care model. There are little pockets of, you know, demonstrating the value of that and the benefits, but everyone kind of runs into these issues of funding and that's where it kind of stops. Is, you know, the way forward rather than expecting big transformational change and the whole system will change, is it incremental steps that we need to be taking and there's things that, you know, individuals can be doing to help us move more to this model? Or is there, you know, really big things blocking us that we need to be kind of addressing before we can really progress this further? Look, I think with every innovation in health tech um, specifically, because that's where, you know, I spend most of my time, I see people starting to have that conversation and starting to open people's eyes up about what's possible. So I would certainly say it's not something that we all sit back and wait for big changes to happen at federal level. I think, you know, if we continue and particularly because I, you know, sort of represent clinician groups and clinician entrepreneurs, like if we see a problem, we should definitely go out there and try and solve it. And if enough of us are doing that, you know, somebody will listen and somebody will say, okay, this is something that needs to be funded or we need to change, you know, the model of care to suit this. So I would definitely encourage people to keep persisting even at an individual level. But you've got to remember that whatever we do has to be scalable for it to have true impact. So, you know, if you build something amazing and I think they talk about, I think it was just this is a problem with telehealth. We had before COVID, they talked about how telehealth had more pilots than Qantas and, um, you know, it's definitely before COVID because both Qantas and telehealth were impacted (laughs) during COVID. Um, But it was true. Like everybody was doing their own little niche thing and they didn't really think about how is this scalable? How will I take this to a national level or international? And I think, you know, any innovation that you come up with as a clinician entrepreneur or as a general entrepreneur in healthcare, you've got to think about how do we translate this on a larger scale and also understanding that patient base and clinician base, whoever your customers are, are so diverse and we don't want to create issues around access and equity of access. So what might work for my eastern suburbs patients in Bondi, would that work for, you know, say homeless patients in the centre of Sydney or people in Burke, you know, in rural locations? So we've really got to think carefully about how we're innovating, but I absolutely think we should be encouraged to continue to do that while some of the big changes happen at the top level because that's going to take time. Mm. Hey, changing tracks a little bit and thinking about some of the other work that you're doing, particularly in the investor side, and you know, I'm seeing more news and press about Australian medical angels these days. Tell us a little bit about that and what you're doing there. Yeah, look, Australian Medical Angels really came about as a filling a need. So, you know, as I mentioned, there's lots of entrepreneurs out there coming up with great ideas. And my business partner, Dr. B. Mian, who also kind of identified that challenge, was noticing that startups struggle to get funding, you know, unless they were sort of going in for millions of dollars um, VC funding and they'd already exhausted all their friends and family. There was this little gap of when they needed a little bit more money to get into the next stage. And we really wanted to find ways to support them and who better to support health tech innovation than clinicians. So this group was formed, the Australian Medical Angels, which is a group of doctors with over 400 now who who like to invest in health tech startups. So we've sort of done about 10 rounds of investment into various companies in sort of the telehealth space, virtual reality, wearables. We've kind of gone across across the sector, mostly digital health. Um, We do look at devices as well. But recently, we were really pleased. We were able to secure a grant from LaunchVic, 
and Launch Week are really trying to stimulate the health tech investment sector in Victoria. So we'll be sort of growing ourselves in Victoria and trying to really look at investing in some great Victorian startups and also trying to increase our pool of investors from Victorian clinicians. This is a really exciting partnership with LaunchVic and really hoping to get more and more traction of these kind of niche groups of angel investors who um, really understand a sector and know what to look for in a startup and the kinds of things that are really going to make a difference for us as healthcare providers. So definitely something for people to get involved in if they're interested in investing or they need investment. Coming from a vendor's perspective, when I hear there are a bunch of doctors that are interested in investing in a health tech startup, I kind of, you know, get a little bit excited. So from your perspective then, before you get a bunch of emails or LinkedIn messages from people saying, hey, have I got an idea for you, Amandeep, what's some advice that you can provide to innovators, those that are creating technology solutions, particularly for Australian healthcare and do feel they're in, you know, they need to make that next step and looking for investment and want to get the attention of? those that might be using it like clinicians yeah look great question and I think you know we do get a lot of people like I was in the shower yesterday I had this great idea can I have some money Um, (laughs) so we tend not to invest in those (laughs) you know for a start look I think people really need to be solving a problem and this is universal startup 101 right not just in health you can't just go there's some sexy technology out there you know we got to find a way to make it applicable to health and solve problems you actually have to identify the problem first and be very clear and articulate what that problem is and we'll quickly be able to tell you if that's a problem or not because we live and breathe this stuff mm. so in terms of problem validation we will know that and so and often we get companies presenting to us and we're like that's not even a problem in healthcare <laughs> you obviously yeah. don't haven't spent enough time here so you know, and the way to do that if you're a not a clinician founder and you have an experience problem is really to talk to stakeholders. There are so many in healthcare, whether it's funders, whether it's hospital executives, you know, government, other clinicians, patients. So really understand deeply what your problem is and make sure that you know the sector. You know, are there other companies doing the same thing? I've had lots of people come up with great ideas and didn't realize that there are 10 other companies already doing the same thing. And what's you know, not, not to say you shouldn't do your idea, but what's going to be your unique value proposition? What makes you better than the others? And often people keep setting up things in crowded markets. Let's build another telehealth business that's like every other telehealth business out there. And, you know, I can tell you that that train has definitely left the station. So you're probably a little bit late. But um, no, I think people need to be, you know, solving a problem. They need to kind of have that unique value proposition or at least be sort of first or the first few to market. Um, You need to have a really great founding team, you know, and if you don't have a clinician involved in your team, we kind of ask questions. If you're in the health tech sector and you don't have an advisor or a board member or a team member that's that's a clinician, we do wonder whether you're taking that input seriously. You know, having a product is a good idea. I think it's great to have things on a pitch deck, but actually having some semblance of what a product is and an understanding of who's going to pay for your product. Like we need a business model. It's not enough to just say we're going to solve this particular disease state or we're going to make patients better, we're going to have better health outcomes. Unfortunately, in healthcare, even if it produces great health outcomes, it needs to be sustainable and viable. And the only way you can do that is to have a business model behind it. So find a payer and you know, help us understand who's going to pay for this product. And you start to pull those elements together and we can really see who has spent time and who is worth investing in. And often it's a team that we invest in because if they're coachable and we can help them navigate them a little bit, kind of if they have to pivot their product, but really it is a people game. And so, so important that you have the right people in your camp. 
such great advice there for many to take on board. And lastly, then, Amandeep, thinking then for those clinicians that might be checking out the show that they could already be active with CCIM but are thinking or may not be familiar, but particularly thinking about how they can get more involved in digital health. What can they do? What are some of their options and how do they get started with it? Well, I mean, they're kind of spoilt for choice these days. When I was getting into digital health, there was nothing around like what you're doing. I think you're definitely joining your community, Pete, is a great step. And we've had a few CCIMers who've kind of gone between two communities and, you know, get a lot of value out of it. There's other organisations to join up, like the Australian Institute of Digital Health um, that's been around for a very long time and starting to sort of just attend events. You know, there's lots of events now coming back online because everyone wants to start networking and see each other face-to-face, but also virtual events. Digital health is really a networking kind of game, I found, meeting the right people because you're not just hanging out with people who are also healthcare professionals. You want to meet technologists. You want to meet business leaders, entrepreneurs. Like There's just so many diverse people playing in digital health and to get the right opportunities, you have to meet them all. So I think getting out there to events, reaching out to companies that you love, like if there's a product that you use, in your clinical setting, just write to the people who who run it and say, I'm a clinician, I'm interested in helping you. How can I get involved? And I can tell you most of them would be so excited to have an email like that because they're always desperate for clinician input and yet they don't know how to get it. They don't know how to find these people. So certainly, you know, just being bold and putting yourself out there and the worst thing they can say is we've got nothing right now, but we'll keep you in mind when something comes up. And all sorts of tech companies are hiring doctors nowadays and certainly following some of the jobs boards. You can see um, ads for medical advisors getting involved in the startup community. There's also, you know, things like the blog that Emily Casey runs, you know, and she has lots of jobs on there um, from the startup community. And I think, you know, the more you start to get involved in meeting other people who are also in the sector, you know, it's just sometimes being in the right place at the right time and an opportunity presents itself. And you don't need to go back to university and do a whole degree in computer science or data science. Like you can certainly get involved in digital health without doing extra qualifications. So just encourage people to get out there and um, be brave. I can certainly vouch for the fact that as a vendor, if you receive an email from a clinician wanting to provide feedback and or be involved and just participate, that'll make you weak. So if there are there you others, go. <laughs> there you go. Um, and and even, even the busy ones too, I think there's always open and the good ones are generally always interested in receiving feedback. And if they're big, they've probably got a process for it. But I'm 100% on board with the need for cross communication and participating across different stakeholders in the industry. And I think together, you know, in our little communities together, yours is much bigger than the THD plus one, but together we can make a meaningful impact. So Amandeep, look, I'm going to put the details for CCIM, Australian Medical Angels, and all the other things that you do. It'll be a long list, but it'll be in the show notes of the episode on our website for people if they wanted to check out more. Amandeep, I really appreciate your time. Let's not make it another 200 episodes until we catch up again. I'll speak to you soon. Great. Thanks so much, Pete. Great to be on. Thanks for listening to the show. Check out TalkingHealthTech.com to connect with other people in our community and to learn more about the Australian health tech industry. Also, make sure you hit subscribe on your favourite podcast player so you don't miss an episode and share this episode with a few people who need to hear it. Now go make it happen.